Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. China condemns Beijing weighs on weighs in on the recent protests, but says it's Hong Kong's problem to solve. Very generic, Pfizer selling off its generic drugs unit, tying up with EpiPen maker Mylan, and a real game changer. A 16-year-old American boy wins the Fortnite World Cup and a $3 million prize. It's Monday, let's make a move. Welcome once again to Monday's First Move. I hope you all had a really restful weekend because I tell you, this day could really be the calm before the storm. The calm part of that is what we're seeing right now for U.S. stock futures. Let me give you a look at what we're seeing. That, of course, after that record-breaking run last week, we're at record highs for the Nasdaq and for the S&P 500. The storm part and the fate of this recent rally, of course, hangs on, well, exactly that, fate. Let me explain. F for this week's Fed meeting, A for Apple's earnings among many this week, T for the trade talks starting tomorrow, and E for economic reports front and centre. Of course, it's US Jobs Week and payrolls numbers on Friday. Of all these fateful events, though, the Federal Reserve is front and centre. What do we get in terms of rate cuts, but also what do they say about the guidance here in future rate cuts? Because that's going to be the driver, I think. A quarter, a quarter, get my teeth in, point cut is baked in here. But there's still some debate over whether we see or see more, half a percentage point cut. How much insurance is needed right now? And do those rate cuts make it less urgent for the US and China to strike a long-term trade deal? We've got a guest coming up who says don't overreact to the trade war theatre. Well, the latest act, Chinese state media is saying over the weekend that Beijing has purchased millions of tonnes of U.S. soybeans since June's trade truce, with Beijing calling it a goodwill step. We'll see. Very little goodwill right now, though, in Hong Kong, where stocks fell some 1% overnight following another weekend of protests and warnings that the city could face a serious longer-term economic hit. That is where we're going to kick off the drivers. So let's get to it. That warning coming from China. In fact, Beijing calling the protests horrendous incidents that have caused serious damage to the, quote, rule of law. Sharice Pham is on this story. An unprecedented response in the fact that China's even weighing in at this stage. But they've backed Carrie Lam, the chief executive, and they've backed the police as well here, Sharice. Talk us through it. Yeah, this is the first time that we've heard from Beijing, China's top Hong Kong official, policy official, breaking that silence today, saying that Hong Kong protesters have committed, I want to get this right, evil and criminal acts. And as you said, seriously damaged the city's uh, economy, its public order, and uh, the city's international image. And of course, Julia, Hong Kong's image is as a safe and stable place 
to conduct business. And Hong Kong's top financial chief saying over the weekend that that has seriously been hurt, that weeks, eight straight weekends of protests are starting to hurt local shops that are reporting that they are seeing a significant drop in business. And you saw that play out as well a little bit in the in the markets this morning with the Hang Seng dropping, I think, almost 2 percent, 1.6 percent at one point. They pared back some of those losses, closed down 1 percent. And of course, also uh, important to note that investors are rattled by other things, including a slowing economy and, and the U.S.-China trade talks. And I do want to point out, too, as well, we have seen, been seeing these images of violent clashes that have happened recently. But I have covered the protests. I have witnessed marches weekend after weekend here in Hong Kong, and they have largely been peaceful. But of course, the big question now, Julia, is how much will two months of protests weigh on Hong Kong's economy? We'll have a clearer answer on Wednesday when GDP numbers come out. Yeah, you make a great point. Actually, you make a few of them. One in that the pictures look very dramatic, but by and large, it is while sizable a peaceful protest here it's just a small element that are creating a lot of the drama and the violence here but you know for international investors watching this part of the reason why hong kong's so strong is the sort of conduit into into china here is because of the rule of law as beijing mentioned here i mean how nervous is this making international investors many american companies who have thousands of workers there it is starting to shake some confidence in the city. The American Chamber of Commerce came out with a statement today calling on the government for some firm leadership to restore business confidence. I know you guys are going to talk to uh, the president, Tara Joseph, a little bit later in the show. But businesses are reporting that they are seeing immediate drops in revenue. They're seeing some disruptions to the supply chain and they are starting to shelve investment plans. So, yes, it is having an impact. But I've also talked to analysts who have said, look, one month, two months of protests that happen really on one or two days a week, it's not going to change the economic trajectory of this city. But you are absolutely right. And as business groups have been saying, it is absolutely shaking investor confidence. Yeah, if only it weren't for the trade war, of course, because that's a, another kicker here. Sharice Pham, thank you so much for joining us on that. Right. Now we're going to head over to a mega merger between two pharma giants. Pfizer tying up with Mylan, the EpiPen maker, as I mentioned. Mylan shares up a whopping 21% right now pre-market. Matt Egan is on this story. So just so that I'm getting this straight, they're combining Pfizer, their less lucrative generics drug unit here, with Mylan. And Mylan, of course, they got at a really low price here. It's lost, what, around three quarters of its value over the last four years. Cheap. Perhaps. Perhaps, Julius. We have Viagra, Lipitor, and EpiPen, some of the best known treatments in the world, joining forces all under one roof in what will be a global generics powerhouse. But as you know, this is not really a deal being done from a place of strength. For Pfizer, it's a way to retreat from what has been a slow growth, low margin, off-patent drug business. Pfizer really wants to focus on trying to hit the next home run by finding blockbuster drug treatments. Now, for Mylan, as you're alluding to, it's a way to get out of what has really been a very difficult situation. The stock is down, coming into today, 76% from its 
2015 high. That's because of all this pressure on generic drugs. That's also because of the backlash against the notorious EpiPen price hikes. Now, as part of this deal, Mylan announced that CEO Heather Bresch, who really is one of the most controversial figures in healthcare, is retiring. Um, that's after nearly eight years at the helm. So let's go through some of the details of this deal. The new company will be renamed. They haven't announced what the name will be yet. It's going to be based in the United States. And what's going to happen here is Pfizer is going to spin off its China-based Upjohn division. And it will simultaneously combine an all-stock deal with Mylan. And so it's going to create a very large company. It's going to be in 165 markets, up to $20 billion in revenue. And the two companies say that by 2023, they will generate about a billion dollars in annual synergies. But Julia, at first, at first um, glance, you know, it looks like Wall Street doesn't really think that this has been a great deal for Pfizer. As we noticed, Pfizer stock's moving lower pre-market, Mylan is up. And so it's interesting to sort of see the first reaction from Wall Street here. Yeah, interesting. I mean, when you're, you're seeing a purchase, you don't necessarily tend to see a positive reaction in, uh, in the acquirer here. But to your point exactly, and to my raised eyebrows when I asked, cheap or not, but what we are seeing here is a broader consolidation, a streamlining of, of many of these big pharmaceutical companies here. They, they all seem to want to be at least in the top three of, of whatever sector or subsector they're operating in. It kind of makes sense because this is a severely competitive area, particularly when you've got your sort of pipeline and popular drugs like Viagra um, rolling off and becoming generic or facing right. competition from generics. I think that's right. I mean, it just costs so much money for these companies to develop the next treatment. And then after a certain period of time, they're going to lose um, the exclusivity to those treatments. So there is um, a lot of pressure on the drug makers. We're seeing so much pressure on generic drugs in particular. But as you mentioned, we've seen a number of very big deals including with Pfizer. You know, Pfizer last year, it announced um, plans to spin off its consumer health division, another low growth business um, with uh, GlaxoSmithKline. It also announced uh, plans last month to buy a cancer drug treatment um, company as well. And so clearly Pfizer has focused on this, this pivot to innovation and to growth. And in order to finance that, they are spinning off some of their slower growing businesses, Julia. Yeah, absolutely. Matt Egan, great context. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's move on to our next driver and delivery app, Takeaway.com, sinking its teeth into rival Just Eat in a $6 billion deal. Anna Stewart has been looking at all the details for us. Anna, set to create one of the world's biggest delivery, online delivery companies here and taking the fight perhaps to Uber Eats, particularly in Europe. Yeah, we're seeing so much consolidation in this space. And if you look at some of the markets, the US, the UK, they're already mature. So growing's really hard and we are just seeing them gobbling each other up at a pretty fast rate. We actually already had Takeaway acquiring British uh, Deliver Hero last year. Now, of course, eating up Just Eat. If you look at the share price, investors very pleased with this. I think uh, Just Eat was up well over 20%, nearly 30% at one stage. And activist shareholder Cat Rock, they own around 2.5% of Just Eat. Uh, they are absolutely thrilled by this, been campaigning for a tie-up like this for ages. But it just so happens, Julie, they also have 4% stake in Takeaway. Aha, uh -huh. I see. So they've been pushing for something and they benefit on both sides. Mm.
We like that, don't we? Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's called strategic investing. What about the competition here, though? Because, I mean, recently we saw Amazon backing Deliveroo. I mentioned Uber Eats here, which is a, a sort of monster company, particularly with financial resources, is behind it. What's the comparison here in terms of scale, number of transactions, and, and sort of how big a behemoth are we seeing created here? Well, it's interesting, like many of the sectors we talk about, it's these big tech giants entering the space. As you said, uh, Amazon backing delivery, you also have SoftBank, they're backing DoorDash, Uber has Uber Eats. And while Just Eat is a massive dominant player in the UK, Takeaway is a dominant player in Germany, I think you can expect to see lots more consolidation from those big tech giants that can afford to chuck more money into it. It's going to continue to be a threat. And some analysts today are saying they wouldn't be surprised if we see a counter bid uh, for Just Eat. Perhaps that's why share prices up so high today, Julia. Yeah, watch this space. Anna Stewart, thank you so much for that. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories that we're following around the world. A six-year-old boy is among three people who were shot and killed by a gunman at a food festival in the U.S. state of California on Sunday. A further 12 people were hurt. The gunman was shot dead by police shortly after the suspect began firing. Sarah Sidner is in Gilroy, California for us. What more do we know, Sarah, about who carried out this attack? Very little at this hour. Police, though, uh, have said that they have shot and killed uh, the suspect, uh, that they engaged within one minute of this shooting happening. Within that one minute, however, three people had been killed, including a six-year-old boy named Stephen Romero. Uh, we now know that 12 people were injured. Police had initially counted 11 with gunshot wounds. A 12th person ended up taking themselves to the hospital. So now that number has gone up by one in the last couple of hours. Uh, we should mention that this festival is uh, something that is uh, well loved here in Northern California. Lots of folks loved coming to this. 100,000 people uh, end up usually showing up uh, at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. And you can certainly not mistake where you are because you can smell the garlic as you're coming into town, a place that processes and grows. Uh, garlic and is famous uh, for its garlic and people just came here on a Sunday to enjoy themselves to have a good time uh, things were starting to, to wrap up uh, and then all of a sudden the sounds of gunshots something that has happened too many times uh, in this country uh, and we understand from police that there is a second person they're seeking they're not sure what that person's role might be but they are saying that there is a second suspect uh, that they would like to be able to contact uh, at this hour they also say that the shooter ended up getting in not through the normal ways of walking through security but cutting through a fence in order to get in and engage all of those innocent people uh, at this hour there are people still in the hospital uh, trying to recover from gunshot wounds including that six-year-old's mother who is who has been injured uh, shot at least in the hand and stomach as we understand it but i want to let you hear what witnesses said as this was all happening last night and we saw him shooting and running towards our um, tent. Yeah, our we saw it. We, we heard the pop. That's when we walked out of the bathroom. We heard the pop. I didn't think nothing. We both looked the same, at the same time and saw him. He was putting the thing in. And then all of a sudden, he just started walking towards our tent and just started shooting like this. So then we ran the other way and everybody else was running. And then she remembered her granddaughter. And the people kept telling me to run, get down. And so then she went back chaos, to the tent and know? I was on the other it was, side. It was pandemonium. It was just it was less chaos. But it was like everything happened so fast and then it was over with. 
we hugged each other and said, you know, thank God it could have been us, you know, and, you know it's just, just two minutes. It's but, just too much. It's too much to but handle. It is it's too, too much close. to even do all this stuff. I just can't come And we don't know how her granddaughter is going to process it. She had, you know, stuff in her hair. She saw the whole thing. She saw... She's a, a year old? Ten. Ten. She saw the whole thing. Ten years old. She saved a three-year-old. She hid, grabbed him and hid him. She's ten years old. Yeah. This is just the latest place in America where a mass shooting has happened, this time at the Gilroy Garlic Festival here in Northern California. Julia. Sarah Siner there in Gilroy, California. Thank you so much for that update. And of course, our hearts and prayers with all those impacted. Let's move on. A funeral service has been held for an Italian police officer who authorities allege was stabbed to death by two American tourists. Mario Cicciello Rega was laid to rest in the same church he was married in less than two months ago. Police say he was stabbed 11 times while investigating a drug deal that had gone wrong. Two American teenagers have been arrested and are being held in Rome. A photograph appearing to show one of the suspects blindfolded at a police station has been leaked to Italian media. Officers say they are investigating. Donald Trump has nominated a staunch loyalist with less than five years' experience in national politics to be his next director of national intelligence. John Ratcliffe is seen here on the right. He would replace Dan Coates as American spy chief after Coates stepped down, steps down next month. The outgoing director said he wasn't resigning over one particular incident. However, he's always had a tense relationship with the president, exemplified most famously by the moment he learned last year that the Russian president would be visiting Washington. I do want to say we have some breaking news. The White House has announced on Twitter that Vladimir Putin is coming to the White House in the fall. Say that again. <laughs> you... Vladimir Putin coming Did I to hear the... You? Did I hear you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be special. <laughs> special. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on First Move, but coming up, uh, there's new items on the vegan menu. We've got a company looking to bait investors with plant-based seafood, and there's nothing fishy about it. And the kids are all right at the Fortnite World Cup, how this virtual game has made some teenagers into millionaires. That's up next. Stay with First Move. You're with CNN. Welcome back to First Move live from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange this Monday. Right now, futures are relatively unchanged. We'll call it a touch high to be optimistic. The question is, Will the S&P and the Nasdaq move further into record territory this week? We've got a hugely busy week of earnings season to come. Apple and some of the major oil names like Exxon set to report. Obviously, the Federal Reserve, as we've mentioned, in the UK as well. Let's take a look at what's going on over there. We've got the FTSE up almost 2% helped by a 15% jump in shares of the London Stock Exchange Group. It's in talks to buy financial data firm Refinitiv. The deal is estimated at around $27 billion. Investors clearly liking that, which is uh, interesting. Also supporting the market, of course, a fall in the pound versus the US dollar, down some 1% in light of, I think, Boris Johnson, the new prime minister's tone with Europe here and raised fears of a hard Brexit scenario come October 31st also raised tensions, of course, over in Hong Kong, as we've already discussed. Mass protests and escalating violence over the last two months, taking a toll on the city's economy. The Hang Seng suffered its worst drop in a week on Monday, 
with property developers and retailers among the hardest hit. The American Chamber of Commerce, AmCham in Hong Kong, is now calling for a, quote, firm government leadership response to restore sagging business confidence. And joining us now is uh, Tara Johns-Joseph, president of AmCham. Tara, fantastic to have you on the show. We'll talk about what response you want to see from the uh, Hong Kong authorities. But first, I know you've been surveying businesses that, that you represent. What are they saying to you about the impact of these protests? Well, as the protests go on and on, Julia, there is a sort of a pessimism or a worry developing that there's no end in sight. And of course, that makes people a little nervous. People are used to a Hong Kong that is so well connected to the world and generally a risk-free place to do business. What our members would really like to see is a sense of what can be done by the Hong Kong government to restore confidence and some real communication as to what the end game could actually be here. Be specific, because in the short term, what do you want to see? Is it a case of a removal, a complete removal of the extradition bill so that the belief is that it won't come back? Because I know people fear that at some point that risk is going to return. An investigation into how the police responded to these protests. But do you also want to see Carrie Lam set, step down here? Because as the architect, the chief executive of presenting this bill. Unfortunately, the protesters look at her as part of the problem here now, not part of the solution. Well, you mentioned two key things that our members are telling us. The first is, while we were happy to see the extradition bill shelved, there is a feeling amongst our membership that if the word withdrawal were used or if it were withdrawn, that would help to soothe the protesters and, and help to make things better. The other area there is some sort of inquiry or a, a research into what's been behind the protests that's seen as fair. Hong Kong has rule of law. Some, some sort of fair look into this that doesn't seem one-sided is also seen as really important. I don't want to get into who should be running the government, but we would like to see some statements from the government, some sense of leadership at this point. It's been very quiet as of late. If we just look at the American businesses, though, that are operating there, I mean, you represent, what, 1,400 American businesses, 100,000 employees working in the area. Are they saying to you, look, there are other options? We could go to Singapore, for example. This is not how we intend to operate going forward if we can't be convinced that, that the rule of law and that some of the benefits of being in Hong Kong with the proximity to China will be adhered to. Are they talking about looking at other options here? Well, certainly there are backup plans being made as people start to survey what could happen in the long term. But to be fair, Hong Kong still is a great environment to operate in. People don't want to leave here unless they have to. The gateway city to China, connected to Southeast Asia, great connections to the United States and to Europe. But the other aspect of it is there are cities across Asia that are becoming increasingly competitive. Singapore is an obvious one where multinationals increasingly feel comfortable. There are other places, Bangkok or Kuala Lumpur, that are trying to bring foreign investors in. So the more Hong Kong loses a sense of comfort, the more other cities will try to compete for that business. Is the worst thing that could happen here that the, the People's Liberation Army steps in 
and takes action here. Is that the, the worst thing that could happen here? And do you think both China and the Hong Kong authorities recognize that that would be a huge problem? I think it's fair to say that that is uh, very much a worst case scenario. And earlier today, when we heard statements from the central government in China, they seem to be putting uh, the effort back to the Hong Kong government overall, even though they were condemning the protests. And I think that's important to put it back to Hong Kong, to not have mainland China and the U.S. get hugely involved in this. So there's not a tit for tat and Hong Kong doesn't get right in the middle. Yeah, that independence needs to be preserved. Tara Joseph, fantastic to have you on the show with us, the president of Amgen there. All right, stay with us. The market open is next and there's plenty more to come. of fist pumping and smiles there. Welcome back to First Move Live from the New York Stock Exchange and the opening bell this morning. A bit of a cautious start for US stock markets this morning ahead of what's going to be an incredibly busy week for earnings and economic data too. More than 150 companies in the S&P 500 reporting this week and don't forget the big Fed interest rate decision on Wednesday too. Former Fed Chair Janet Yellen said over the weekend that she supports a quarter point cut. However, she doesn't see this as the start of a major Fed cutting cycle. What we did see, though, is the S&P and the Nasdaq closing out last week at record highs. The Dow's around half a percent away from records, mostly because of the weakness in Boeing. We discussed this last week. Its stock tumbling some eight and a half percent after reporting an almost $3 billion Q2 loss due to the 737 MAX crisis. All right, let's talk more broadly about what we're seeing and what we can expect this week. Robert Schiller is a professor of economics at Yale. He won the Nobel Prize for Economics back in 2013, and he joins us now. Professor Schiller, fantastic to have you on the show. I want to talk about the Federal Reserve first. There's debate over whether we see a quarter point, a half a point cut. There are others that, that look at the markets, that look at conditions and say the Fed probably shouldn't be cutting at all. Where do you stand? This is a close call, I'd have to say. Uh, the uh, unemployment rate is near record lows. Uh, that would be uh, a time for raising uh, uh, rates to cool the economy. On the other hand, the uh, uh, inflation rate is a little bit below target. So if you're trying to hit the target, you would cut rates. Uh, I think it's a close call. Uh, I, I would have to study carefully if I were on the FOMC at, uh, at this point in time. You know, back in March, you were saying that there's a 50% probability of a recession in the next 18 months. Do you think that we can head that off and extend the, the business cycle here, even the bull market perhaps in equities too, by preemptively cutting rates here, insurance rate cuts as the Federal Reserve has right, referred right. to them? Yeah, I, I think that uh, we've just passed a milestone. In June, we passed, we, we were now in record territory for the longest expansion in U.S. history since the NVER started calculating these in the 1850s, uh, referring to the 1850s. So uh, it looks uh, like, a, like a recession might be overdue, but you might say that this time is different. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, it doesn't seem like there's strong inflation, uh, recessionary expectations, which might be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So 
So maybe we'll go for a while longer before we finally slip into one. You know, it's interesting. The Fed keeps talking about the, the international economy and the fact that for most people here, it's less about trying to stimulate the U.S. economy versus prepare and mitigate the risks elsewhere in the world. You said investors shouldn't overreact to the trade war theater. Do you think the Federal Reserve is guilty, perhaps, of overreacting to the, the trade war theater here, too? Yeah. Well, that's another important. It's, in, it's good that you use the word theater because uh, it is a show. It's an emotion laden show. Of, uh, of anger being brought up. Uh, and I think that anger does have a risk to the markets and to the economy because people might pull back on, on doing uh, adventuresome things. They might feel ang anxious about the outlook and that would, that would slow down business planning and business investment. We've already seen that in the latest data. It's not, uh, the, the, I think markets thrive on certainty, not uncertainty. How important is the ongoing rally in the market, though, for confidence? To your point, you know, you're a specialist in, in behavioral economics. It is the biggest risk, perhaps, to the bull market here, fear of the end of the bull market rather than anything else. So, again, it's right to perhaps cut rates here and, and mitigate the, the drama and, and the back and forth here over trade, if nothing else. <laughs> you said it exactly right. It's a question of the drama. So what is the mo more important thing for the Fed to do to cool, it, to cool this drama down? So I, I thought that pushing interest rates back up to a normal level uh, would kind of reassure people that normalcy, you might call it, is here. On the other hand, uh, maybe cutting rates is, uh, uh, helps uh, assuage our, our growing fears. It's a difficult call, I have to say. Uh, I don't know how uh, people can be sure about how they will affect the drama of, of the trade war <laughs> as you describe it. Do you worry about the fact that the United States needs to leave some kind of cushion to be able to support the economy in a more material slowdown in the past? Or is the fact that actually, unlike many other central banks, the Federal Reserve has managed to raise rates to a far larger extent and therefore has bought itself the ability to provide insurance rate cuts at this right. moment? Yeah, this is more of a problem in the Europe uh, ECB problem, where uh, they've already pursued quantitative easing at a high level and their, interest, their uh, in basic interest rate is at a negative territory. So they've kind of run out of ammunition. We do have more ammunition in the United States with a federal funds rate just under 2.5%. We have a lot of potential, a lot more potential for cutting. Uh, but even so, it's not as big as it was in, in past years when the federal funds rate was in double digits. Where do you think this ends? We're going to have the Bank of Japan this week perhaps lowering their inflation target because despite the fact that they've lowered rates and bought a huge chunk of, of equities and bonds in, in Japan, they've not managed to, to perk inflation up. The United States is struggling. To your point, the European Central Bank is struggling. What's the end game here? Well, the, uh, I think that uh, the invention of inflation targeting uh, which goes back to the uh, Central Bank of New Zealand uh, at the beginning of this century. It's actually an important invention 
and in the long run it will serve to stabilize the rate of inflation at, at a good level. Uh, we used to target the exchange rate. It's better to target the inflation rate because that is more on the minds of most people. And I think that ultimately we're, we're pretty much a success with that. Uh, and so inflationary expectations aren't such a drama uh, as they were in past years. So I expect that this will, uh, apparently the Fed then is right now making this move in good part because of the federal funds rate drifting down. It's not dramatically below target, it's about one and a half percent. But that's enough, I guess, to make a little adjustment to fine tune this, uh, this interest rate. And it keeps people from getting involved in the drama of worrying about inflation. If they see it, you know, what's the difference between 2% and 1.5%? It's not exciting news. That's the way we want to keep it, not exciting news. Yeah, de-drama. If we could de-drama the uh, global economy, that would be great. Professor Schiller, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Professor Robert Schiller there, Professor of Economics at Yale. Great to have you on the show. All right, steel making in the pharmaceutical industry, topping our global movers today. Let's take a look at those shares of Mylan Labs rallying at some 18% right now, just under, as you can see that, following the announcement of a major deal with Pfizer. Pfizer separating off its patent drug unit and will merge that then with Mylan, which is already a leading seller of generic medications. Mylan CEO will step down as part of the all-stock deal to be replaced by Pfizer's unit president. The combined company expected to generate annual revenue of around $20 billion. Pfizer shares, as you can see, slightly lower here by some 1%. Separately today, it announced too, its second quarter earnings came in above expectations, but revenues missed estimates. And in the meantime, shares of cancer research firm Genomic Health are higher. Cancer diagnostics firm Exact Sciences is buying the company for some $2.8 billion. And shares of the French drum maker Sanofi are higher. It posted strong Q2 results today and raised its 2018 earnings guidance. Wow, lots going on in that space. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But up next on First Move, you've heard of meatless meat. But what about fishless fish? Are you hooked? Well, we've got an investor who is coming up. The man making waves in the plant-based food industry. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. Beyond Meat is releasing its second quarter earnings after the close today. That's after an astonishing early run. Since its IPO in May, the California-based company set its IPO price at $25. It opened at 46 if you remember. And since then, it's been on one meaty climb, currently trading at around $230. That is pretty bonkers. Joining me now in the chat room is Chris Kirk. He's the Chief Investment Officer at New Crop Capital and also an early investor in plant-based food companies. Chris, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. An early investor in Beyond Meat too. That's a whopping rise. Congratulations. Very happy with the outcome, I have to say. There's no complaints there. All I wanted was a really good tasting burger and uh, what I got was a nice return on investment. Does it worry you, that sort of shift up in price? I mean, this is a small market. Getting access to, to, to these kind of companies that are doing this right now is tough. Do you worry about sort of the meteoric rise? Oh, just what I did there. Not so much. I mean, you know, the fact is there's a lot of different ways of entering into this market. Mm. There's a lot more innovation that still has to come. And uh, we're just talking about a burger right now. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that this commodity product 
is turned into a finished good for consumers. Okay, so we'll take a step back. You were a vegan. You were looking for decent food options and you were struggling. You were like, you know what? I'm going to invest in companies and help them commercialize mm -hmm. on a small scale what they're offering. Yeah, I mean, on my way down here, my wife Kirsty and I were walking past a Dunkin' Donuts and a, and a Beyond Meat sausage yeah. came out. My head would have exploded in 2002 if that had happened. <laughs> I would have eaten my uh, sausage sandwich and gone about my business, but instead that what didn't really exist. The number one ingredient back in those days was disappointment in our food. And so what we wanted to do was say, look, if we can bring innovation into this space, take a base product and apply it to a demographic that changes all over the globe. You know, you think about the way that meat is put together, it's, it's, it's maybe globally used, but it's locally accepted. Yeah. And so what we wanted was a base product that could be applied to different demographics. And that's what Beyond Meat's been doing. That's what we're doing with Good Catch, other products in our, in our portfolio. Now, Good Catch is interesting because this is plant-based fish alternatives. Like, I feel like yeah. with, with meat, it's one thing, but with mm -hmm. fish, it's yeah. something different. We eat between 200 and 300 different types of sea creatures. We eat about 30 different types of land animals, yeah. right? So when you look at the culinary arts, first of all, we always start with taste. Like I said, 2002, I was basically eating cardboard for burgers and <laughs> unmeltable cheese if it even existed. All I wanted was a grilled cheese sandwich that melted. Um, those days are kind of gone now. So we look at the culinary innovation and inside seafood, if you have 200 to 300 different types of applications, think of all the culinary innovation that can happen there. Take that and then apply it to the localized uh, innovation, which is dishes, which is preparation, which is form. Uh, this is really a global opportunity. Was it Silicon Valley that was the real sort of game changer here and the innovator because I feel like the interest, the innovation, it's all kicked off over the last four or five years and now we're all talking about the alternatives out there and it's not just for people who are vegans, it's yeah. for people who want to be healthier or are worried about overfishing in oceans. I mean there's there's many reasons to, to look at yeah, alternatives so it, here. It's a mega trend because there's lots of different levers that are being pulled. So it's not just a hungry vegan like me who's an animal guy. Uh, this, this could be uh, you know, somebody who's lactose intolerant or allergen or religion or diet or likes climate. Uh, you know, those are lots of different levers that are pulling that. That's why it's a mega trend and not a fad. How big is this market now? Because I've seen you use a great uh, example of um, plant-based milk, and that was 1% yeah. of, of the overall market 10 years ago. Now it's 10% of the market, and they're mm -hmm. everywhere. If we go back to, to meat specifically or plant-based mm -hmm. meats, how big is the industry now, and how big do you see it growing perhaps over that time horizon? Well, the industry's small. It's a couple billion dollars. Yeah. The opportunity is over a trillion dollars. You're talking about disrupting the, the, the cab business with, with Uber, that's maybe a $35, $40 billion industry. We're talking about a trillion dollars that's global. Uh, that's how I look at the market because that's the way we're heading. Right now you look at seafood as an example. Large fish still have to be hunted. It's one of the few foods yeah. that we actually still have to hunt. We go to very long distances to get there. Uh, the market is really big when you look at all the different applications that come with it. I saw an interesting survey. Americans will need to cut their average consumption of beef by around 40%, Europeans by 22% for the world to continue to feed the 10 billion people expected to live on the planet by 2050. So mm -hmm. you can list a whole number of reasons why you have to do this, but that's kind of necessity, quite frankly. Time is not on our side. No. We have a lot of things that are in crisis mode. You know, you look at collapsing seafood uh, stocks, you've got land degradation, climate change, um, healthcare diabetes, you're looking at entire nations. Uh, you look at the correlation between um, diabetes and the rise of pork in China, it's, it's ridiculously close. 
Uh, those types of things should be concerning to most consumers. You also have a more educated consumer now, right? right? They're, they're catching on to the options. And, but at the end of the day, we make d uh, decisions around food based on price, awareness, convenience, and taste. Taste is the driver. Everything else falls in after that. So we have to solve all four of those things. If you look at what Beyond Meat's doing, if you look at Good Catch is doing, a few others impossible, you're solving all four of those things. But they have to take, it takes time to do it. And it's not going to be as fast as milk. It will take a little bit longer because we're not tapping into an infrastructure that milk was able to do. We're dealing with an entirely new supply chain. I have to get you back to talk more about this because I could keep you talking for half an hour, but very quickly because it is a question that I get. Yes or no? Is a meat, a plant-based alternative, healthier? than a meat version? Well, I think it is. Um, uh, depends on how you eat. Now, I could eat nothing but uh, Skittles and Mountain Dew every day and still be a vegan. That, 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 that doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> burger um, for burger. That's right. But you can eat everything from a very, very simple quinoa burger all the way up to the most complex, you know, impossible Beyond Burger. There's a whole spectrum in there. Consumers get to decide that. We do that today. Yeah. No. Chris, we'll get you back. Thank Chris you very Kurt, much Chief for Chief Investment me. Officer at New Crop Capital. Great conversation. All right, still ahead. After hundreds of hours of training, seeing off four million other players and quite a few arguments with his mother, we'll have the details of the latest sports star millionaire. That's coming up. Booga, still alive. Shots going down. Can't connect with that one. One build left. The final moment of Fortnite. Roll oh, top. my gosh. Bow down. Surprise. Bow down to Booga. And that was the moment a 16-year-old gamer became a multi-millionaire. In case you missed it, the Tour de France wasn't the only major international sporting event this weekend. Video game Fortnite held its first ever World Cup right here in New York in front of a packed Arthur Ashe Stadium and an online audience of more than a million fans. American teenager Carl Gersdorf beat 100 other players to take home a very cool $3 million. Incidentally, and for comparative purposes, the winner of the Tour de France, Egan Bernal, took home $550,000. Some difference. Claire Sebastian is here with more. Claire, you know, when I saw this story, I can hear my mother saying to my brother, you will never make your millions playing computer games. Oh, how wrong she could have been. Yeah, I think, we're all the, I think we're all in the wrong job, uh, Julia, if uh, a teenager can take home. Uh, $3 million for just basically sitting in a chair and, and playing a video game. But the, the really shocking thing about this uh, is the staggering size of this event itself. $30 million was the total size of the prize pool. Uh, you Actually, you got $50,000 just for qualifying for the finals. Every player uh, went home with uh, at least $50,000, although they did have to qualify over 10 weeks. Uh, $3 million, the first prize. Obviously, there were 40 million players who took part in the qualification process over those 10 weeks. And all of this contributes, of course, uh, to the value valuation of Epic Games, which the latest estimate we've got on that from last year is 15 billion. But of course, there are small numbers to take note of as well, Julia, and those are the ages of the players, many of them uh, younger than 16. Uh, the oldest, uh, uh, among the oldest, was the third, uh, third placing player who was 24, considered elderly uh, in this world. So this is a game that's turning teenagers into, into millionaires overnight, some of them considering making this uh, a career. And of course, the bottom line of all of this is that Fortnite is free. It's become this multi-billion dollar empire uh, by, by reaching this incredibly wide audience through having almost a zero dollar barrier to entry. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things in there. By the time you're 25, you're completely past it, judging by the, the rankings here. Um, but also the amount of time that goes into preparing for one of these. I mean, they stream 
they stream this game on a weekly basis, in some cases 80 hours a week of, of playing computer games in order to get good enough to, to compete here. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Certainly uh, players have told CNN that, that it does get in the way of their school if they're young enough to, to still be at school. But this is something that uh, it's not just Fortnite, but people have begun to, to turn video games into careers. They're helped, obviously, by platforms like YouTube, by Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. We know that uh, content creators are already making careers out of YouTube. But, but this is something that I find really staggering about, about video games. It's no longer just a player sport. It's a spectator sport as well. And that's why esports uh, is becoming such a big deal. Yeah, a million viewers. Incredible. Clay Sebastian, thank you so much for that. Yeah, alternative career choice, not me. All right, let me bring up you to speed with today's boardroom brief. Ryanair has posted a 21% drop in quarterly profit. The Irish airline says it has cut prices to stimulate demand, especially in Germany and the United Kingdom. CEO Michael O'Leary has also taken a swipe at Boeing over the grounding of its 737 MAX jets, saying the plane maker has to get its beep together with regulators. Wow. Shares, Heineken sinking the most in eight years after it missed its profits target. The world's second largest beer maker reported operating profit of $1.97 billion. But analysts expect uh, over $2 billion. It's currently down some 5.5%. The London Stock Exchange Group is trading up more than 15%. It comes after the company confirmed it's in talks to buy financial data provider Refinitiv for $27 billion, including debt. Analysts are welcoming the deal while warning it will likely face significant regulatory hurdles. And on a quick programming note, CNN is hosting the next 2020 Democratic debates. They'll be live on CNN on Tuesday and Wednesday and coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. But you can see Encore presentations at 7 a.m. London, 2 p.m. Hong Kong time the day after. Only on CNN. And that just about wraps it up for the show. Plenty more to come. I'll be back in a couple of hours time on the Express. But for now, you've been watching First Move. Time to go make yours. Have a great Monday. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.